morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Um, every penny that comes in over the next several weeks uh, beyond our budget goes directly into our admin conspiracy campaign, which is to build wells uh, in developing countries, and we encourage you to be generous. We'll keep you informed on that. We hope that you had a wonderful holiday. You got all turkeyed up. I went into a coma. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, also, this uh, every uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we, Gail and I got married uh, uh, 35 Thanksgivings ago, so we had our 35th wedding anniversary uh, yesterday. So we are survivors. <laughs> uh, this morning we're starting a series on Advent, this season that uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas that has been uh, by the church historically set aside as uh, to celebrate Advent, which means the coming and talking about the coming of Christ when he appeared in the world. And it also talks about the coming of Christ's future. So the Advent really is two Advents, his first appearing and his second appearing. So we'll be talking about that all during this, uh, this month that's coming up. Uh, it's the whole Christmas story. This morning I want to talk about when Jesus first came. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this this morning. The older I get, the more I sort of... Uh, get into routines. And it's kind of nice, kind of disturbing. Um, but one of the things that I do is I participate in what's called the divine office. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's really basically an ancient practice of praying scripture. And you can get big fat books. You know, I've got three or four of those things. Uh, actually, more than that. Big fat books that actually lay out psalms and you pray them. And there's also other kinds of prayers that are involved with that. And, and one of the things that that, that they, that what, the way these things start out, each of the times throughout the day that you pray these things, is they always start out with these two phrases. The first one is, Oh God, come to my assistance. And the second phrase is, Oh Lord, make haste to help me. Oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. I, I just, I love that. Because if there's anything that I've discovered after being uh, a, a person of faith, I came to Christ at Christmas time, 1970. And uh, if there's anything that I've, I've noticed and know now with certainty is that God, as much as I've wanted to have him do it, God is not going to fix me. There's not going to be this magic moment where I just pray just deep enough, where I cross this magic threshold and or somebody puts some oil from a olive tree from Jerusalem with my $1,000 gift. There, there's no oil, no anointing, no something that someone can do that will make me cross over into glory land and be fixed. Because there's something that will be forever broken in us, or I should say broken in us until we get our new bodies. There's something wrong with us. There's this uh, Augustine termed it original sin. He's talking about this thing in us called concupiscence. And what concupiscence is, is this sort of interest in loving things wrongly. Either we don't love enough, or we love things too much. Or sometimes we just love things out of its proper order. And Augustine said that it's it it's creates in us this, this Latin phrase or Latin word he calls incurvatus, and it means bent. We just can't love straight. We just can't be straight in our lives. There's always something bent in us. 
we, it's like the wicker furniture. In fact, we get our, you know, wicker furniture, this twisted wood. You've all seen it on porches and stuff, wicker furniture. Um, that wicker, we get the word wicked wood, wicked wood, which is where we get the word wicked. All, all it means is that there's something twisted in us. And we're never going to get it untwisted this side of eternity. The only thing we can do, it's like Superman. If you want to fly, you've got to hold on to him because only Superman can fly. I mean, everybody knows this, right? You've seen the movies. And uh, anyway, well, I won't go there. Uh, but the point is, is until, unless you're holding on to Jesus, unless you're reaching out and saying, oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. It's in, only in that moment that, that we begin to experience the closest thing to wholeness we can. But it's not our wholeness. It's his wholeness in our lives. That's why Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. <laughs> now I understand that what God is after is not my performance. He's not after my perfection. What he's after is my heart. He's after my trust. He's after faith. The just shall live by faith. It means a basic internal trust, not in myself. I want to trust myself. It's just so weird. It's just something in me. I don't know if it's, I think it's in everybody. That we think if we just try just a little harder, pray just a little more, maybe fasted an extra meal, that we'll, we can trust ourselves. We'll, we'll cross the line. It, 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 it starts in, in the garden, when in the garden story where, where, where Lucifer is tempting Eve in that narrative. He said, if you would just do this, You'd be like God. And there's something else that thinks that. If I could just get a little more resolve, if I just read my Bible a little more, if I just did this, I could be like God. And it's, it's really a hard pill to swallow to recognize you're a toad. I was going to say turd. They're both appropriate. But there's nothing in you that's going to make you win. And that's why Jesus said, you know who's blessed? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's literally talking about poverty stricken. He's talking about those that have no power whatsoever to help themselves. They're in poverty. Blessed are the poverty of spirit. In other words, you come to the point where you recognize, I am never going to make this work. There's nothing I can do that makes, that fixes this. That what I need is a savior and I never graduate from needing a savior. That's why I love this divine office. Oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. The next phrase, it's the old glory be prayer. Some of you may have remember it from different uh, traditions you've come from. But it's that great prayer, glory be to God the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will ever be, world without end. Amen. What's it saying? The way we got started in this, you remember how you got started in this? You weren't trying to perform for God. It wasn't like you, you heard about the Savior and you say, watch me. Da, 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 da. You know, you, you like it? Do you like what I'm doing? I'll pray extra. It, was, it wasn't what you did. You know how this started? You knew you needed a Savior. And as it was in the beginning, is now. 
and ever shall be. World without end. We're always going to need him. And so what God is looking for is he's looking for honesty about that. He's looking for a brokenness about that. Or we either come with a simple prayer, or even if we come to worship at church, we're not thinking, well, we come to the right church, and we worship the right way, and I sing extra loud. It, it, you're not trusting you or us. You're looking for encounters with him. So that when we come to the Eucharist, we take the Eucharist, and we're looking for him. We're longing for a moment with him. That every impulse of our, of our faith is that we want to encounter the risen, the living Christ. Because when we encounter him, it starts changing stuff. Wrongs begin to be righted in you. Peace, which is appropriateness. Where you're thinking appropriately, acting appropriately, peace begins to dawn in you whenever you encounter him. Uh, encounter him. This concupiscence is tamed. This impulse to want to love wrongly, this impulse to desire wrongly or overly starts being tamed. You're not quite as, quite as weird when you have these moments of encountering him. And, 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 and somehow you're undone. What do I mean by that? You're, <laughs> you're not trusting yourself anymore. You're sort of awed by him. This is, the, this is what faith is about. It, it's not what we do, it's what we discover he's done and what he's doing. And that's why we, in Advent, remember to celebrate the Savior who came into the world to make himself accessible to all of us. In John 1, it talks about the fact that Jesus had existed before he came into the world, that he was God who comes into the world. And it says, the word, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, everything's made that you see. Without him, nothing you see would have been made. In him was life. And that life gives us light. And the light shines even in the places of dark. And darkness just doesn't get it. I love that. We don't have to get how this works. We just have to get in it. We just have to open up our hearts. Kierkegaard, one of the, he's that famous philosopher who talked about faith, and he basically just said, man, you're never going to get your mind around it. You've got to leap. It's just kind of this leap into, you, you can come to understand it makes a little bit of sense, but it's never going to make total sense. And it's always going to be uneasy and a little confusing. And if your faith is not uneasy and confusing, you've simplified it, and you're a knucklehead. You're just not thinking about it. This is disturbing. We're following someone we've never seen, giving our whole lives to them, to him. It should disturb you on some level. But it's that disturbing. That is at the essence of faith. It's that, it's Abraham, Kierkegaard says, that goes to the mountain and he's supposed to slay his son and all the questions that that emotes and the confusion and the silence he has. He doesn't tell anybody. He didn't tell Sarah. Sometimes you need... You, he didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell his son. And he waits till the very last moment until he's in a corner and he blurts it out and God shows up and saves him. But you got to wonder, what was that about? I mean, think of how the relationship between Abraham and Isaac changed that day. You were going to what me? Confusing. There are just times that faith just doesn't make sense. And yet that's what we're called to do. And in this moment, it says that the darkness doesn't understand it, but he said the word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the glory of the only one, of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is talking about incarnation. Incarnation is just a fancy word that just means that God wrapped himself in physicality. He wrapped himself in flesh, and he entered into the human experience. Jesus, God, knows exactly what it's like to be a created being, even though he's uncreated. He steps into this creation, and he experiences the limits of it. And not only did he experience the, the, how it is to be a human, he actually goes to the place when he enters the, the passion and goes through the suffering of Gethsemane and ends up on a cross. Paul said he actually became sin. He's so united to us, he experienced everything we have that is horrible. Every bit of guilt, shame, rejection, abuse, hatred, inequity, every bit of it. And he becomes us on Calvary. He becomes the fallen human race. And Paul says he became that so that we might be changed, that we might become new creations. The Orthodox, Greek Orthodox say that we might be deified. It, it doesn't mean we become God, but somehow we participate in God's very nature because he participated in our nature. This is incarnation. Actually, Greek Orthodox theologians get all dancy about this. They love this. This notion that, that, that God became flesh because what, what, it, what they say is that that's why we can experience grace in our souls in our human experience. The reason God can come into our human experience is because of incarnation. Somehow God found a way to get inside the human context. This is why we can say the Eucharist is sacred because God gets inside physical things. He figured out a way. It's incarnation. That's why he's present in our worship. But where this is in its fullness because you'd see hints of it through the old covenant. God would show up in the temple with glory and he did miracles and he did different things where there were images of God and, 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 and sort of vestiges of God. There are pieces of God, traces of God, but we don't see God clearly until Jesus. Jesus actually is God in flesh. And the Hebrew writer said if, if, that in times past, we saw God in different ways and shadows, but in Christ, we see his exact representation. That He says he's the exact representation of God. That would mean that if, if, if God is the light, Jesus is the bright. So really bright. If God is the water, Jesus is the wet. Right? So we experience God in that. Paul talks about this. He says, your attitude in Philippians 2 ought to be the same as that in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not regard or consider equality with God, something to be grasped or held onto. We wouldn't let go of it, but he, he let go of it. He let go of being in that higher place, made himself nothing. He took on a different nature, the very nature of humanness, the nature beyond that of a servant, made in likeness of human beings. And he was found in the appearance of a person, a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The implications of this are immense. God comes to human life. But I just want to focus on one small issue. And that is that 
Jesus came to restore what was lost in the human fall, what was lost in Eden. The Eden narrative, it, it says the human life was being lived out in proximity of God. Now whether that story is literal, whether it's metaphorical, is really not the point. Is that on some level, human beings in our history once were connected to God differently. And in that moment, as we read the narrative, it says that, that God was setting up where they were living. He was giving direct commands to them. There was all this interaction. In fact, we read one example, Genesis 2. He says in verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all these beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. There's this interaction. God bringing stuff, human beings talking. However that looked like, I mean, the reality was there was a nearness between God and human beings that was lost when sin slithered its way into the human experience. The message of Christmas is simply that God found a way to bring back the nearness. <laughs> to come where we are. We don't have to try to find a way to him. He found a way to us. And, and this idea that he's almost like that song we sang, it's like he runs at us. You capture pieces of it, and the psalmist caught a glimpse of this. This is Psalm 139. Listen to it. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, when I go to church or whatever prayer, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, when I do stupid stuff, you're even there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, but if I, if I settle on the far side of the sea, he's talking about running, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say I'm in a place where darkness is hiding me and the light around me is really just night, there's no light there at all, even the darkness will not be night, dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. He's saying no matter where I am, you find me. This is Luther's notion of the hound of heaven, the holy hound of heaven, Somehow, you know how they would take dogs and put a scent and the dog just keeps going until they catch that scent, wherever that scent is. It's like God got your scent and he's wholly hounding you. <laughs> he's, he's after you. What if that's true? That you matter. That you were born in this time in history in the situation you've been born into, and despite all the garbage and the heartache, what if he's got his scent on you? What if he's chasing you? That's the claim of Christmas. That's the claim of this business of Advent. On that first Christmas night, it says of the angels in Luke 2, they were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and this angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were freaking out. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That's for everybody. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find this baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to people on whom his favor rests. You remember from the Genesis narrative, who was the beings that threw Adam and Eve out of the garden? Angels. And they protected the tree of life. Angels did. No humans could come back in. 
They were cast out by the angels. Well, now these angels are singing a different tune. They're saying, basically, hey, guys, you know how you were locked out of God's presence? You know how you could no longer have any face-to-face hang time with God? You got kicked out? Hey, you know how you had no access to the tree of life, just access to lots of death? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Well, tonight, that all changes. Tonight, God has come to you. The Savior has been born. That's Advent. It's the story that we fall in humans who no longer had access to any kind of life, no tree of life. We had no access to it. Somehow, God embodied the tree and came into the world and became the tree of life for us. I don't know if you ever saw those uh, Lord of the Ring movies. And, well, I think it was the second one, Towers or something, whatever I think that was called. Two Towers. And, uh, and, and in it, it's, it's, uh, they're, they're entering into this war, and a bunch of the creation starts entering into the war, and there's this big bunch of trees that talked. I'm not sure this is based on a true story. <laughs> but this, these trees were living trees, and so they wanted to jump into the fight. So they started moving and pulling the roots up. And they started walking to the, these trees. Man, that's basically the Christmas story. The tree came a-walking. The tree of life is in the world. (laughs) Jesus is the tree of life, and he came to give us face to face again. Matthew said, he said, a virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. With us like Eden. Face to face. The import of Jesus coming to the earth is that God was restoring accessibility of his kingdom, accessibility of his life. Now anybody, anywhere, has access to God's presence. Jesus said one time, he said, now that I'm here, the kingdom of God is near. The literal version says, the kingdom of God is within your grasp. You don't have to run. You don't have to climb mountains. You don't have to change your life. You can come just as you are. Because the kingdom of God is near you. I mean, I don't care if you've got three jelly-faced toddlers and you've got two of them still in diapers and all day today you haven't even prayed. You filthy sinner. <laughs> and, and somewhere in the middle of all that tension and, you, you know, and, 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 and activity, if you just stop for a moment and say, Jesus, he's there. You don't have to run for 15 minutes to pray and you don't have to run to church, take communion. I mean, you don't even have to tithe. He's right there. The good news about Christmas is that Jesus was saying, you know, he was a Jew. He knew that all the stuff that was going on, you know, in the temple and all the pomp and circumstance and the sacrifice, all that stuff was, God was in that stuff. He said, my the temple is my father's house. He knew that God was in all that stuff, and God is in all the stuff we do. He, don't just let this become dead ritual. Don't just come up and dip some crackers. Don't just come and sing a song. I mean, if you actually make the songs a prayer, God is in that. If you come up and you take that and you say, this is his body, and this is his blood, and I'm partaking of him. Jesus said, this is eternal life. If you actually throw your faith at something, you can encounter him. These things are precious. 
If you enter into these, you know, I'm telling you about the divine office, any of these routines that we do, I mean, they can be so precious, but they're not the place where God is and he's not anywhere else. If you never did that stuff, he's right where you are. I mean, Paul told those pagans, he said in Acts 17, he said, God did this stuff so that people would seek him and reach out for him and find him. <laughs> he's talking to people who are pagans, who have no sense of any religious stuff. They don't get any of it. He said, because he's not far from each of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. What's he saying? The, the good news is you don't have to do something to get to God. He's done something to get to you. And in him we live and move and have our being no matter where you are. I mean, if you're in the midst of a horribly busy day and you've just had nothing but disappointment and, and you're in your business and a bunch of trouble has come and all this stuff has happened, I mean, you can feel completely out of sorts. That doesn't mean he's not right there. And all you have to do is just reach out and say, Jesus, help me. Lord, hurry up. <laughs> Make haste to help me. <laughs> He'll be right there because he's right there. You, you, you can say, well, you could, you could have to actually have lost your job. And you can't figure out where there's no room in the economic end. What's going on? And you can say in the midst of that, Jesus, he's right there. See, he's with us all the time. The good, the bad, the ugly, the horrifying. He's always there. Don't be confused. Just because he's with you does not mean all goes well. I mean, think of Mary. All these prophecies are fulfilled. That day, she donkeyed over to Bethlehem. There's hundreds of prophecies, or, or hundreds of years, dozens of prophecies that are fulfilled. And the only thing I know, you know, Gail was pregnant. You know, we've had three, four babies. And every time we got near that baby time, she had this like mother thing going on. And she really cared about everything being right for the baby to come. It, it just, she just wanted it to be right. As right as it could possibly be. Things as safe as it could possibly be. You don't think Mary had that? And here she is. She has sacrificed her reputation listening to God. You're pregnant? Yeah. Who did it? God. See, we know the story now, but imagine hearing that story. I mean, it was scandalous. Joseph actually thought about putting her away privately, but the angel visited him and said, don't do it. So they're living under this cloud of scandal. And you would think, after all she's been through, that coming to Bethlehem, all these fulfilled prophecies from hundreds of years before, that God could have secured a reservation. I mean, really. I mean, think about that. Really. I've got to go where the animals are. Really. How disappointing. Just because Jesus is with you doesn't mean you don't have disappointment. There's lots of disappointment in life. We're in a world full of disappointment. And imagine if in Tulsa, the Messiah has come and the angels have sung and everybody's rejoicing. And all of a sudden, just within a few months, we have the likes of a Herod decreeing every child under two slaughtered them. And they come through the streets and they take our babies, our toddlers, our innocents out in the street and slaughter them. Merry Christmas. How could this happen? 
could this be? How could he be with me and me feel this way? How could he be with me and the doctor just tell me that? If he's with me, there's no trouble, right? I mean, no. In the midst of trouble, he's with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there. Our thinking is, if he was really with me, we wouldn't be in the valley of the shadow of death. But yet we are, because we're in a fallen world. See, faith. I don't don't know why it is. I'm like this, and I wish I weren't like this, but I keep thinking, he's not with me. I've been doing this for 40 years. I still struggle with it. And when I wake up in the morning, you know what I do? It's so stupid. You'd think, you'd think! I'd think. But I don't. First thing I do is I survey the last 24 hours. Well, would I do anything bad? Did I do anything bad? What is wrong with me? And I'm searching to put my foot on that I was good. Instead of my foot on that whether I was good or bad. Nice or naughty. And he's with me. And, and when I am good, it's so weird. I mean, I mean, I mean I'm not always good. I'm naughty, and then, you know, I say, oh, God, forgive me for being naughty. But when I'm not naughty, and I'm actually good, it doesn't take very long until I'm feeling really good about being really good, which means I'm really bad again. (laughs) Because I've got pride. I'm better than you. I'm telling you, I am a mess. And I keep thinking, I don't know why it is, I'm here, and he's there over in that religious stuff. I'm here, he's there if I could get over into prayer. I'm here, he's there if I can get over and just fast. I'm here, and he's over there. And if I'm really, really busy and I don't have time to pray as much as I want, he's even more really, really over there. And if I dawn into any kind of sinful thinking, oh, man, I'm so into I'm here and he's over there-ish, I can't even tell you. And it's all a lie. Because right where you are, no matter what condition you're in emotionally, mentally, physically, If you just sinned a horrible sin a moment ago, he's right there. That's the message of Christmas. He's with you. He's with me. And he's not just in some bubble of religion. We need to re re reality of the fact that it is Jesus and his presence that gets us to experience him. You don't even... I mean, if you have piercings and tattoos all over your face and your body, you're welcome. If you dress in cowboy outfits or hipster outfits or if you're really struggling with some confused cross-dressing stuff, you're still being chased by God. And if you are a nerd, you can experience him. If you are in the midst of horrible sin, he comes to you anyway. He chases you. If you've been naughty or nice, you can come. True, Dallas Cowboy fans go to hell. There's no hope for you, so there is that exception. But the Just As I Am song from Billy Graham, that captures the simplicity of what we're talking about. Let me warn you before I shut up. When you come to you, or when you open your heart and he comes to you, and you experience him, he'll mess with you. He'll start helping you say no to the stuff you were saying yes to. 
It'll start making you hate sin. It'll start drawing you into rhythms of prayer and other, other good disciplines, the good religious stuff. See, it'll cause you to love where you've hated. It'll cause you to forgive where you've had grudges. And he'll talk to you about your stuff. But the point is, is that he always comes to us. That is the message of Advent, the message of Christmas. So this year, when you encounter that manger, and we used to be able to encounter him more than we do now because the public arena sort of robbed that from us. But get yourself your own manger. We have one. Put it up. When you walk by that little manger and you see Jesus, the message that ought to scream to you is, you've come to me. You're here. You're still present. I mean, he's present, and yet he's not present. That's the second advent. But he's present even through the fact that he's in his womb body, the body of Christ. He's present with us. Let it impact you. A couple action steps. One, go to the website, sanctuarytulsa.com. Click on a little advent on the side thing. It's an advent uh, devotional you can click on. It takes you a minute to go through. A little prayer, a little scripture reading, a little thought. You can download it, print it out. You can even, there's even some space if you print it out for you to write some reflection thoughts down. I mean, you do it you know, just in the morning. Do it at break time at work. Just do it when you pull in right before you go in the house. Just find a routine time to do it. I think it'll help you. And just pause. Because if you do and remember that he has come, you will have yourself a merry little Christmas.